relax, you got nothing to lose. What do you think? I'm about to show you. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Show me your movie, you can say it again. Just wait till you see what I did at the end. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women-identified directors that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast where we celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the always lovely, the editor like the editor in chief <laughs> the one and only ariel <laughs> hi hey Thank how you are you i'm doing great yeah are you do you i feel something i feel something sort of in the wind like it, it's an electric feeling do you know what i'm talking about do you, can you feel it <laughs> yeah i mean when we're recording this it's the second day of women in horror month that's like our right. favorite month of the year so <laughs> It is the best. I love Women in Horror Month because, I mean, I we do this all year round, right? But it's like everybody gets into the holiday season this time of year. So, yeah. like, it's so much fun. And we always get to meet new people and forge new friendships with other awesome spooky ladies in the podcasting and horror world, including a very special guest joining us for the first time. Now, this is someone who I have been like low-key stalking for a long time. I cannot believe she agreed <laughs> to join us. <laughs> That's right. The amazing Kay Lynch is hopping on for the first time ever. She is the founder of the Salem Horror Fest and the festival that I desperately want to go to. And every year I'm like manifesting, this is the year it's going to happen. Kay, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Hi, I'm here for the orgy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. You did get the right invitation. <laughs> I was worried this is going to be professional. <laughs> oh, I thought we were doing a slumber party here. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've got the pillows and the ponytail holders. We're doing hair. We're having pillow yeah. fights. <laughs> Twinkies. <laughs> mm, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Woman in Horror Month. Oh, thank, thank you. you so thank much you for being, being here. Coming. Yes. Of so course. first first of all, I want everybody to be as obsessed with you as I already am. So let's start with just like in case people are not familiar with you. First of all, get on our level. But secondly, tell us about Salem Horror Fest, how it, fa it was founded and, you know, kind of what your mission is and what you ha have planned for this year. Sure. OK, so we are entering our sixth year. And I started the festival in 2017 as a direct response to the 2016 election. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it kind of was a moment where I felt like everyone needed a collective scream yeah. <laughs> and a yeah. sustained <laughs> scream. And I've been a fan of horror for a long, long time. And one of my favorite things about the genre is how it reflects like our cultural fears and anxieties. And I thought it'd be a really fun way to sort of... Mm, find catharsis in these movies and to sort of like try to make sense of 
everything that we're going through together in a way that is a little less daunting and doom scrolling. Like, you know, we, mm. when you talk about the themes in horror, you can kind of talk about really heavy, complicated things like one step removed. Yeah. And sure. um, I, I really love that about the genre. And being in Salem, Massachusetts, you know, we have a history of, you know, what can happen when fear runs amok. And so mm. I thought that this is, you know, the perfect place to explore these themes and um, you know, we're known as a spooky town, but really we're just a very sad place where something traumatic happened. And right. so, you know, there's even over the years, the sort of the legend of Salem morphed and mutated. And, you know, for there was a there was a long time where the city really exploited like the quote, which aspect of it and mm-hmm. to a really gross degree. Some of that is still there. But over the mm-hmm. last like 10, 15 years, people started to become a lot more um, sort of conscious of of what message that the city was sending to the world and doing that. So Salem's on everyone's bucket list. And so, you know, it's it's fun to have a place where, you know, not only horror fans, but like super divorced, like we are a queer city. We are Amazing. a city run by women. Um, I love that. And so it's really fun. And this year, we are returning. We we did do the festival live last year, but it was sort of like dipping our toe back in the water. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. um, so this year, we're going all out, going back to 2019 levels of like production and events and everything. It, actually, even beyond that. But we have Tony Todd as our headliner. Amazing. We do this event at the Peabody Essex Museum, which is one of the oldest continuously run museums in the country. And, you know, that's kind of like our red carpet night. And then everything else happens at the cinema, um, all the film screenings. And so there we have a competition where our submissions, our feature submissions are screened. And um, something that we're doing new this year, each weekend is going to have a focus on international horror, different parts of the world. Oh, wow. Awesome. One will be Czech horror, oh. and two will be Bollywood horror. Oh, that's yeah. cool! <laughs> Starting this year, every year, I hope to just kind of explore a different region of the world. And um, you know, it can be really daunting with uh, yeah. horror to be like, well, where do I start? You know, we're not super familiar with all these cultures, and so it's like, I it it could be overwhelming and a little intimidating to to try to get into um, into some of these corners of the genre. And yeah. so it would be really fun to do something in a way that could be like, well, let's just dive in. Let's just kind of explore four films yeah. as a good sort of like sampler. And my hope is that people go, oh, this is really interesting. And they dig more and they can, you know, go further and further into yeah. that culture's yeah. take on the horror genre yeah oh that's super exciting and i think i saw on social media that you have a ton of other guests coming too like linnea quigley might be there (laughs) this is her third year with us we love linnea she's She's so fun she's so cute um yes and so we are primarily a film festival but we are doing parties at bit bar which is this um, barcade. It's got an arcade oh, game. 
and it's a big open space. And so we're going to have demons versus vampires. So like weekend one, we have Linnea Quigley and Amelia Kincaid from Night of the Demons. But we also have Greta Greta from Lamberto Bava's Demons. Nice. And, oh, cool. um, and so on all the monitors, uh, they're going to be like clips um, from demon films. And there's going to be like hair metal music. We have a DJ who specializes in hair metal. <laughs> amazing. Um, amazing. And then weekend two is uh, vampires. So we have uh, the Fright Night teams. We have William oh Ragsdale, <laughs> Man- Amanda Beers, Stephen Jeffries. Oh Whoa. Um, Amanda so- Beerce, I love her. <laughs> that's so yes. cool. How exciting. Yeah. So um, that's, you know, we'll have the party on Saturday night, but all throughout the weekend, we encourage people to go out and hang out there because it's really fun. Yeah. Oh and you guys God. are starting on April 20th this year. Is that right? Yeah. 420, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see what you did there. <laughs> no, I'm never going to need it when it's over. Sure. <laughs> I, that that sounds like a lot of work. Even, yeah. I can't even imagine how much work goes into it, but like what's so great is you've also like discovered some up and coming filmmakers. We had Alice Mayo McKay on here and she's so amazing. She is. And she kind of got her start at your film festival, which is incredible. It's so wonderful. So we're flying her out. She's going to be here for two weeks. Oh Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Um, because she's in, she's in Australia, and so it's like, yeah. well, we need to make this trip worth it. It's, like, it's going to take a long time <laughs> to get here. Yeah. So, um, you know, I haven't been able to meet her in person yet, so I'm very, very excited and super proud of her. And she has a new film that's coming out called T-Blockers that we will be the world premiere of. <gasps> oh, wow. I'm so excited to see that. She is so talented. I just can't even imagine being that young, that talented, and that like self-aware to know what you want to do with your life. I was such a person 19. <laughs> so I, she's unreal. amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's 18 years old and this is her third feature. <sighs> Crazy. Yeah. She's that so talented so- and she has such a strong voice in her movies. You know, you can really see that she has like a vision. You're so mm-hmm. impressive for somebody so young. Incredible. Absolutely. So are there any up and coming filmmakers we should keep an eye on this year at the festival? Anybody in particular that's really, you're excited about people seeing their work? Hmm. If you don't I, have an answer, it's okay. Yeah. Well, no, it's, there's many, but I don't want to single any of them out sure. because this is also a competition. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> right. Okay. Just kidding. I try Watch to be, I try to be fair. In it's every very way. diplomatic. We appreciate um, that. But what I can say is that I'm very proud to have, um, you know, about half of the films are directed by women. We have a super strong queer theme going on, both queer awesome. filmmakers, but also queer content. And so uh, we have, a film from a queer 18-year-old, another one. I don't know how they're doing this. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> oh, gosh. But, um, but, you know, they've got an amazing film um, coming out. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really proud of the lineup we have this year. It's super diverse, both in the voices and the type of stories that they're telling. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm so excited to see what comes out of the festival because, I mean, I do feel like you ha- are a little bit of a tastemaker, whether you mean to be or not. I don't know. But I do feel like it's it's kind of a bellwether festival. Yeah. Um, oh, that's yeah. So cool. 
Well, we are showing 100 films on six <gasps> screens. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's huge. Yeah. It's that's pretty incredible. It's pretty, pretty <laughs> I mean, insane. For your sixth year, that's amazing yeah. that it's grown so much. It's, yeah, I'm so impressed. Yeah. Thanks. I'm excited. <laughs> Do you think 2017K had any idea how big it was going to get? Like, <laughs> hmm. Or were you always this ambitious from the jump that you're like, someday over 100 films in BD? I mean, I don't know that if I had that specific goal in mind. <laughs> like, I've always been pretty ambitious. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. In fact, um, so now I'm also the creative director of the cinema. And um, you know, I've been renting the place for years, but the new owners brought me on. And so I was planning the festival as I usually do. And, and the owner of the cinema, Marshall, he said, you know, why limit ourselves to one screen? Why don't you just use them all? And I was like, Marshall, whoa! never <laughs> once in my life have I ever heard someone say, Kay, think bigger. <laughs> so I was like, all right. Here comes the fire hose. We're going to do this. So. <laughs> but I mean, that's how you get things done, right? Like I, I applaud your ambition. I am inspired by it. If, you know, I think, you know, so often we're told like smaller, take up less space. You know, and so whenever somebody is just like, no, I want all the screens, then that that's deeply in- inspiring to me. So yeah, it's, it's great. I'm very fortunate. And um, it's, you know, this is, the way I approach it, the way I look at it is I built the stage. And so yeah. I want to invite everyone right. to come participate in, you know, whichever aspect that they feel most comfortable in. And, um, you know, if you, if you follow any of our social platforms, you, you can see that we're very unapologetic about our politics and that yes. um, the most important thing for us is that people feel safe and can be themselves at this festival and meet other people um, like them. And so that is probably my favorite thing about the festival is that the audience we have are just the coolest, most interesting people, super friendly. And um, especially this year, you know, we spent so much time on like Twitter, social media, you know, over the pandemic and everything. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of, circles that um you know at least for me personally that i've met only online and i'm yeah. hearing all these people saying i'm coming i'm coming i'm coming and they're all like you're going we're gonna all meet for the first time and it's just gonna be really special so i love that so much that's so amazing i do i mean i appreciate what you do with your platform there's so much power in having one and so whenever it's used in this way i think that's really fantastic and important and exciting and it makes you it's and infectious you know it makes you want to be a part of it so and anyone awesome. can do it wherever wherever town you're from like you can do it too so like um i'm not special it's just if you have the vision you can you can do it <laughs> all right so everybody where can they find oh actually we'll do a plug at the end so we'll circle back to this but let's get to know kind of we like to know what movies you enjoy things like that kind of get an idea of what your ta- particular taste is so that the listeners can know like if they align with you and and kind of like have a barometer of your taste so um, just to give your perspective, what are some horror films that you love, especially? Okay, so Cat People is like number one, 1942. Love it. I do yes. love 1982 one as well, but um, the first one is is my absolute favorite. I love Blood and Black Lace. 
um, Carnival of Souls. I uh-huh. tend to really, I'm drawn to a lot more older films. Um, mm-hmm. I love high contrast, black and white. Um, you know, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, more contemporary, like Paranorman is like oh, a really special film. Of course, it. Salem! <laughs> yes, it's place in Salem. So, you know, and it's a film that, you know, um, not only talks about the themes of, um, you know, what happened here with the witch trials um, and like persecuting people who are different. Yeah. But the film is very good at poking fun of like sort of the capitalist tour, you know, like exploitation of tourism in the movie. Yeah. And so I talked to Chris Butler, who who wrote and directed the film. And he was saying that when he wrote the film, he meant it to be over the top and like, you know, like making fun of like just kind of exaggerating that aspect of the city. But then he came here. (laughs) Oh, "Oh, no. (laughs) I just made a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) We are, you know, our high school team is, you know, the witches. (laughs) Oh, okay. Gotcha. (laughs) Got it. Got it. But yeah, so I think the movie is just so smart on all levels. It's just a, a really piece of art and really sweet and touching as well yeah um i I also really really love the film perdita durango um Mm. which is just the most insane movie you'll ever see Um, (laughs) it stars rosie perez and um yeah and javier bardem with like the worst haircut you'll ever see (laughs) oh my gosh yes that just came into my head (laughs) yeah but I mean, worse than in, in that's saying a lot because we've seen No Country for Old Men. There's a worse haircut. Than I need to see mm-hmm. the movie just for this. I mean, it's really bad, but in certain angles, it's kind of like he he's so hot. Like, I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. right? You can make it work, but yeah. awesome. All right, do you have? Since this is a woman-directed horror podcast, do you have a favorite woman horror director that you especially love? I do. I really love Cat Shay. Um, oh. Cat directed Strip to Kill, The Rage Carry Two, Streets, uh-huh. Poison Ivy. You know, it's so sad. Unfortunate. I mean, there are a lot of women directors in horror now, which is great. But there yeah. are so few who have a body of work. Yeah. In the genre. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, when, when someone says John Carpenter, Joe Dante, mm-hmm. on and on and on. Yeah, these are people who have a body of work in the genre. And um, Cache is in that club. And, you know, she's lesser known. Mm-hmm. But I love her films. I think they're all um, just visually interesting all of her films deal with, you know, women and girls discovering their power in one mm-hmm. way or another. <laughs> and um, I just think that she's, you know, fucking cool. Another Corman uh, girl who came out, you know. Oh, you know, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She she came out of, um, Roger, Roger Corman gave her her start, um, just as Amy Holden Jones mm-hmm. did. I just love to see, you know, because she made it happen. And, you know, she basically forced Roger <laughs> to give her the <laughs> first job, and um, and you know, and ran with it. And I just think that she's really badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. 
I mean, there are so many amazing women working in horror now. And, you know, we tend to cover those more just because there's more of them. But you really do have to give it up to these these women who were doing it when they were like literally blazing those trails and pushing their way into the space. Um, yeah, there's that. We got to we got to do something with Cat Shay. We have not covered one of her films yet, but I'm, yeah, I'm realizing as you're saying it, that is a massive oversight. <laughs> we need to get into that. I'd yeah, come I back. I'd love to talk oh, about it. Oh, okay. Okay. Done. Put you Deal. On it's a date. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do not do not make promises. <laughs> Jump right on it. <laughs> no, what do you mean? I, I love talking about movies. It's good. Not good. Not good. Wow. <laughs> Us too. <laughs> Imagine that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, what are some, you are very good about watching things that are a little bit below the radar. You know, like you're mentioning films, you're not like Friday the 13th, Halloween, like you're kind of doing the deeper cuts, but are there some films or filmmakers that people are really sleeping on that we should be making a bigger deal out of or really putting in the effort to make sure we see their work or that film? Sure. So let's see. Um, One film that I think is like really important and unique is a film called We're All Going to the World's Fair. Oh, uh yes, yes. By uh, director Jane Schoenbrunn. I hope I'm Mm -hmm. saying that correctly. Um, But the film I just think is so unique in telling uh, a story from the perspective of a person who grew up with the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it's, it's actually quite bizarre that there aren't more films that accurately capture just internet culture and yeah, like what, how it impacts or has impacted our life or our style or our personality or our relationships. And, um, and so I think the film is just a, a really fascinating sort of look at certainly a darker side of of the internet and the subcultures that form and you know they really play with um sort of the line between reality and fantasy and you know we're living in a world where that line continues to become more and more obscure no um, kidding and so i just i think it's just a, a brilliant film mm-hmm. it's visually interesting um and telling telling stories that are are so um, authentic but rare for some mm-hmm. reason, and so I really, really look forward to seeing what else Jane has in store for us. What is that? The new one is uh, I saw the TV glow. I was just Something writing like... about this today. It looks uh, oh. so good. like Phoebe Ooh. Bridgers just joined the cast. Oh, oh wow! Yes, that's crazy. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I the reason I know I literally was writing about it today. It's the only reason I, you know, but well, yeah. You said, look, is there like a trailer or pictures or? No, I was doing a like movies we're looking forward to this year, and oh, I, okay. I added that to the list. And so I was like trying to find out if there was a release date yet. And so I saw all the casting information. It's like Justice Smith and someone else. I can't remember what? the third person. Was. Oh my yeah. goodness, that's so cool! It looks. It's like and it's a twenty four. So hopefully they're gonna throw money at her. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh okay. yes, 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 yes. Oh, um, all right, so I'm not under the radar for long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, and rightfully so. That movie 
shook me to my core. <laughs> and it's interesting that you're talking about it because I'm thinking about how we're going to be talking a lot about gays tonight, I'm sure. And it's such a contemporary, like ahead of its time discussion about gays and of the way that when you put yourself on the internet, like it's gender is removed from it, but it's still sort of this weird, like sense of ownership we have over the people we look at on the internet i don't know it's really mm -hmm. interesting and you're ourselves. getting my brain turning <laughs> yeah awesome okay last question the one of the things that we are always as horror fans ariel and i say um is we're always looking to be scared you know when we were kids everything was scary every scary movie was scary but you know, we watch a lot of scary movies and stop getting scared. And uh, we're always chasing that, the dragon of the fear. What was the last movie that you saw that actually scared you? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to say Skin of Marink. Um, oh. Yeah. I actually, full confession, did not finish the film. Because oh, wow. <laughs> it scared me so much. Oh, <gasps> incredible. So I'm so jealous. It's okay. So the film is, you know, obviously takes place in the 90s. Um, and I can just tell from this film that I am the same age as Kyle. Like the, everything mm. that he's doing is like I was, we were probably born like the same month or something. Like I am exactly <laughs> where he was at. Like, at that time um or at least you know this is his perspective um and that house looked like my house <laughs> when oh, i was that, that would make it creepier <laughs> and i had a younger sister <laughs> um my brother had not been born yet so it was just me and my sister and so um and i have home video tapes that really kind of evoke some of the imagery um that he was creating um and so is this you know and, and visually and the audio of it is really unsettling and i just like pushed the ipad away it was like nope i can't do this anymore so <laughs> yeah i mean when that many things line up with a horror movie like that it would be so unsettling i know i felt like i had like just discovered these tapes like of my memories. own yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and, and that is how i experienced life at that time and so um it was yeah i mean kudos to kyle <laughs> to, yeah. to capture something like that absolutely that, that movie is so interesting it's so divisive and i i actually have not seen it yet it's on my two watch list i haven't gotten to it yet but i when it came out i watched it like divide all of my like horror friend groups not in a bad way, not in fighting, but like nobody had a middle of the road experience with that film. And so whether you like it or not, at the end of the day, that thing evokes feelings. And so much of what we watch is so disposable. And I think that is such an accomplishment by itself, you know, to like Absolutely. really divide the horror, the horror fandom. Yeah, especially doing it on such a low budget the way that he did. I mean, the, I saw the movie and it, it didn't totally work for me, but there are several scenes in it that I did find to be completely unnerving. And I talked to other people who had watched it and, and had the same experience you did where it just, it brought up childhood stuff and totally unnerved them. So I think it's maybe one of those films where like, if it resonates with you and your childhood experiences, it's going to really freak you out, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm just so happy to see its success. You know, it was made sure. for $15,000 and went on to make millions. It's amazing. Um, it's, <laughs> it's really incredible. And it's not alone. It's part of a trend. Um, you know, yeah. Terrifier 2 is right. uh, yes, a, exactly. a very different film. But um, <laughs> another, you know, small budget film that become became this viral sensation. And, you know, Outwaters, I think we're seeing that sort of take off. Um, and so I just, I just hope we can keep supporting these smaller films with big audiences and yeah. big box office, because that means we'll get not only more films like them, but more importantly, more voices, mm -hmm. um, from mm -hmm. people that we don't usually hear from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because we, you know, we, every year we get big budget horror movies that go to the theater and get tons of publicity and, or, you know, tons of money put into them, but they do tend to be like a certain type of person and there's only a handful that kind of get that opportunity. So the fact that fans are sort of fueling this thing where people are going to the theater to see these small budget indie movies is really exciting because there is such a diversity of voices among indie filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, well, and I think it's important to also um, give sort of credit to distribution companies because they're the mm -hmm. ones who are finding these films yeah. and going, you know what, this this could do it. This could actually yeah. connect with an audience. These are like super low budget films. And both Terrifier 2, Skin of Marink, Outwaters, they were both seen by people who thought this was that these films are onto something. Mm -hmm. And so um, you know, there's thousands of films released every year. The fact that yeah. they kind of were able to tell. Um, that these could connect in a way I think is is really interesting and um, but I also want to emphasize they have to keep doing a good job because once <laughs> they put the wrong one out there oh, this yeah, whole trend true. could end that's true <laughs> oh, that's so true so, so I just like... yeah putting all this good energy out there like you know it's it's a it's an aspect of the industry that doesn't get a lot of attention or accolades yeah. and um, and so just shout out to all the distribution um, companies out there because it is a very um, crucial role that, um, Absolutely. You know, especially as someone who runs a festival, yeah, they're the people that all our filmmakers want to connect with. And so, you know, I, I'm kind of a broker in a way when I show these films, I have these distribution companies who come and look to see what we're programming and um, they're, they're the tastemakers. They're the ones yeah. who, who see what's what these filmmakers have and decide whether or not there's an audience for it, a wider audience um mm -hmm. you know because i know i know my audience and yeah. um and uh and so i don't know just shout out to the distribution companies yeah. don't fuck it up yes yes <laughs> i mean as i love like shutter i love xyz films i feel like they take risks and put some stuff out and and i'm and it's what it's done is it's like when we started this podcast, we were worried we were going to run out of films. Oh my god! And yeah, we had this we conversation so many times. We were very, very worried. About we we're like, it. so because like there's you go and you on the internet and you Google like best horror directed by women, and there's like the same ten movies every time. But then, as terrible as it was, the pandemic hit, and suddenly all these streaming services needed content, and there's been all this opportunity for diversity of voices, and so. Um, you know, things have really, really changed just in the years that we've been doing it. But it, it's stuff like Shutter and these these distribution labels that are putting these out. Um, 
And so like you, I'm so, so grateful for, for that. And yeah, don't fuck it up. <laughs> Keep them coming. <laughs> we're rooting for you. <laughs> yes, we're rooting for you. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, what do you say we get into the review? First things mm-hmm. first. Into our, I thought you were going to say, let's get into our pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, before we get into the review, Ariel, can you please remind our listeners and let our new listeners know our spoiler policy on the pod? Yeah, so real quick, I'm going to tell you guys about the director and the making of the movie, and then we're going to give you some non-spoiler general overall thoughts about the movie and whether it's worth checking out. And then we're going to drop another spoiler warning, and we're going to talk about the whole movie. I definitely want to talk about the ending, so if spoilers bother you, Rachel will give you a warning. You can hit pause and go watch it on Shudder because it's available there. Yes, it is. That's how I watched it myself. (laughs) Awesome. All right, Ariel, tell me about the director and the making of this film. All right. So Slumber Party Massacre is the movie that we're talking about today, the original one from 1982, and it's directed by Amy Holden Jones. So she became really interested in photography when she was in high school and started making her own movies and taking photos. And she actually ended up majoring in art history at Wellesley College and took filmmaking courses at MIT. And then in 1975, while she was in college, she directed a short film called A Weekend Home, and that won first prize at the American Film Institute's National Student Festival. And Martin Scorsese happened to be one of the judges, and he was super impressed by her film. So about a year later, she had graduated, and she was really struggling to make a living working on documentaries. And she was considering moving back to New York to go to graduate school, when she happened to come across an article in the newspaper about Martin Scorsese starting a new movie, and she decided to just write him a letter and ask him for some advice. And when he got the letter, he remembered her student film and how impressed he was by it. So he called her like five days later, and he hired her to be his assistant on Taxi Driver. Oh, cool. I love that movie. (laughs) I love that movie. Like, Baby Gay Me was like so in love with Joey Foster. Oh, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) So while she was working as as his assistant, she got tons of experience because she was able to see like all of the takes and all of the edits, the entire process while he was making it. So after doing this job for him, Scorsese said that she was basically way too talented to continue working as an assistant. And so he had gotten his start working as an editor on famed low-budget horror producer who Kay was talking about earlier, Roger Corman. He had worked on his films and was able to get her a job there by recommending her. So she started her career as an editor working on Joe Dante and Alan Arkush's feature Hollywood Boulevard that they made for Corman. At this time, she started finding a ton of success as an editor working for directors like Dante and Hal Ashby. But she actually couldn't stand the job. She kind of hated it because... (laughs) She could only make films better, but it was never going to be her project. She couldn't make it her own, you know? That makes sense. So she asked Roger Corman if she could direct something from him. And he told her that she'd have to show him what she could do. And so she pulled a script off of his shelf called Don't Open the Door, written by Rita Mae Brown, which, of course, would later become Slumber Party Massacre. So (laughs) feminist icon Rita Mae Brown happened to be flush with cash after her success with her debut novel, the lesbian classic Ruby Fruit Jungle, 
And she yes. decided <laughs> she decided to pack up and move to Hollywood because she wanted to become a screenwriter. And when she was in Hollywood, she connected with Roger Corman. She wrote a script for Slumber Party Massacre. And the script was meant to be a satirical send-up of the slasher genre. But then it sat on Roger Corman's shelf for a few years before Amy Holden Jones unearthed it. Cool. So Jones shot the opening scene as a test reel to kind of prove to him that she could do this whole directing thing. Mm. She filmed it at her own house over the course of a single weekend with a four-person crew for just $1,000. Right around this time that she was doing this, she was starting to get a lot of editing work, and she had caught the eye of Steven Spielberg, who actually Who's hired that? her. Never heard of him. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> he hired her to edit E.T., but uh-huh. Corman was so impressed with this test reel that he gave her the green light to make her directorial debut with Slumber Party Massacre. So she decided to bet on herself. She walked away from the E.T. job to make her own film. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. She said in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter that it was an absolutely crazy decision, but one that she's never regretted once. So I bet. I mean she's made like an iconic film. Yeah. Absolutely. That's amazing. <laughs> And who even remembers E.T.? <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, she took the job for Slumber Party Massacre before she had actually finished reading the script. And according to her, it needed some work. So she spent the next four weeks rewriting it. Now, there is a little bit of sort of back and forth around whose version is better. It's sort of like Stephen King and Kubrick, where each think their version of The Shining is the best one. Right? Uh-huh. So <laughs> Rita Bray Brown and Amy Holden Jones each think their take on Slumber Party Massacre is the best one. Brown has called the film a straight slasher with no humor. And Jones has said that she actually had to restructure the original script, add characters, and inject humor because it basically wasn't there in Rita Marie Brown's version. <laughs> so, Ooh, cat fight. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so when Amy Holden Jones actually went to make the film, unfortunately, there was a lot of interference from Roger Corman that she had to contend with. Corman wanted to get rid of a lot of the satirical elements, but Jones sort of fought to keep as many of them in as she could because she wanted to keep the script's subversive edge. Sadly, a lot of that was lost, and in its place came more blood, which he wanted, and of course, the infamous shower scene. (laughs) I love the remake version of the shower scene. (laughs) It was funny seeing this again after having seen that more recently, and I was like, oh, I see what's... Oh, I I know. know. (laughs) (laughs) So a little fun fact about filming, the actor who played the killer refused to speak to any of the actors who played his victims until their death scene had been filmed. And in order to ensure that the performers looked scared on screen, he spent a lot of time during the shoot lurking in bushes and kind of mock stalking his co-stars on set and dramatically apparently slathering the drill bit with Vaseline in order to freak them out. So yeah, I'm sure it was just to freak them out and definitely not his kink. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm calling shenanigans on this. (laughs) So Amy Holden Jones filmed Slumber Party Massacre just over 20 days in the summer of 1981. And the movie was made on a budget of $220,000. 
Now, despite being directed by a woman and written by a feminist icon, when it premiered, the movie got pretty mixed reviews from critics, some of who even accused it of being misogynistic. Despite this, though, it made $3.5 million at the box office and then did super well on the VHS market, too. So, you know, they made their money back in spades. Um, It also had two sequels, both of which were written and directed by women, which is basically unheard of. (laughs) I mean, to have a a slasher trilogy that's only written and directed by women, it's impressive. It also spawned two spinoffs with the Sorority House Massacre series. We covered the first one of those uh, last year and the two Cheerleader Massacre movies. I've never seen any of those, so I don't know if they're worth a watch, but... (laughs) So after finishing Slumber Party Massacre, she continued to work with Corman, and she actually wrote and directed 1983's Love Letters, starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Hmm. But then she started to run into- I was going to say, surely like this financial success, and it it threw open the doors, and she just got nothing (laughs) thrown at her, Yeah, and she has now become a world-renowned director who's- Mm -hmm. of the caliber of a Martin Scorsese, correct? That's how the yeah, story ends, that's right? That's where it's ending. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so she started to run into problems, the kind that most of the women that unfortunately we've learned about from these decades past uh, were facing who wanted to direct movies. So she penned the script actually for Mystic Pizza. And she okay. had planned to direct the film as well. But unfortunately, it ended up in development hell after it was optioned by Samuel Goldwyn Jr., And then Mystic Pizza was ultimately directed by a man, which is a bummer because I love that movie, too. Yeah. Then in 1987, she wrote and directed an Ali Sheedy comedy called Made to Order that didn't do very well. After that movie. You remember remember it? I do remember that movie. I'm pretty sure I saw that like in the theater. (laughs) (laughs) So after Made to Order, she wasn't getting any offers. Meanwhile, men who had worked as her apprentice editors were off directing their own big budget movies. So at this point, she pivots her career to screenwriting. She writes scripts actually for hugely successful movies like Beethoven, Indecent Proposal, The Relic, just to name a few of them. Yeah. Her script for Indecent Proposal actually made her kind of a big name in screenwriting because it was something that you could do at the time as a woman when there were few directing jobs being offered. So in 1996, she directed her last film. It was a thriller called The Rich Man's Wife, starring Halle Berry. And since then, she started working exclusively in television. It's kind of the same story as what happened to Rachel Talalay or Mary Mm -hmm. Heron, who had all that success with Mm -hmm. American Psycho. And then Basically Mm -hmm. has directed a couple small films, but mostly just TV since then. I think the director, I can't remember her name of Blood Donuts, had a similar story where she made that movie and then... Holly Dale? Yes, thank you. And then went Mm -hmm. on to mostly just do TV after that. So um, she created the show Black Box. And then actually in 2017, she created the medical drama The Resident that is super popular right now. It's been on for five seasons and counting, and she continues to write episodes for it. So that's sort of what she's doing right now. Awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. Did she have any involvement with the with the remake, the Danishka Eskerhazy one? Not that I could tell. No. Well, if she ever comes on the show, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> We'd love to know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay, great. So first things first, like I said, this was your selection. Kay, what made you decide this is the one that you wanted to cover with us today? 
Well, I just, I love that it's a franchise written and directed by women. And I thought it was a really good, um, you know, a perfect way to kick off women in horror month. And yes. I'm going to be showing the first and second film um, in a couple of weeks to celebrate oh. Women in Horror Month. And the Scream Factory 4K release just came out. So it's like a That's little right. moment. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it's perfect. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is the best way to, I mean, because this is like one of, there's a handful of sort of like, you know, historical origin sort of women in horror films that are like if there's like a Mount Rushmore of lady horror films this is definitely (laughs) on it so I think this is is a perfect way to kick off the month awesome okay well let's get into our non-spoilery reviews like I said we're just gonna tell you kind of generally what we thought about it without hitting any major plot points and um and and whether or not we think you should check it out as our guest Kay I'm gonna go ahead and put you on the spot first what did you think of Slumber Party Massacre? Oh, I love it. I think, um, so, you know, the difference between a spoof and a satire is that a satire is not only funny, but works as the thing that it is satirizing. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that it could be, you know, kind of easy to look at Slumber. In fact, the first time I watched it, this is what I thought. It just, on its face, is a very straightforward slasher. Not a lot happens in it in terms of plot. But when you really pay attention to a lot of the details and some of like the subtle sight gags, it is, you know, poking fun of um, a lot of sort of tropes that the slasher genre had only just recently became a thing. Like, you know, this is 1982. Halloween was 1978. So, you know, this film was already satirizing those tropes. But I mean, it became, slashers became a big thing quick. And so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was ripe for it, but what I also think is really fascinating is that it's like a precursor to Scream, um, Mm. not only because it's like meta commentary of a genre, but like the house, the like watching a film as someone's being killed. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a van death. Someone gets mm-hmm. yanked into a van. Yeah. Like, Scream 2. <laughs> yeah. Um, the garage really reminded me of mm-hmm. Tatum's scene. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of elements. I was like, oh, this is interesting. I think I think it, there is a dialogue happening. Um, and, and just one other aspect of its meta nature that I think is so interesting having um, uh, now seen all of them, they're all basically the same thing. You know, it's like <laughs> a, a bunch of women and a driller killer. Um, but which I love because I feel like there's this pocket dimension <laughs> where, you know, women just get sucked into the sort of like time loop where it's like all of a sudden it's like a new class of women who have to yeah, know, get, yeah. <laughs> go through this, you know, the, this um have this confrontation and um which i think is also fitting because like the themes of the film is very much i think you know it is at the very beginning of the film she's throwing away her her dolls and her toys and it's like she's leaving her childhood behind or you know the loss of innocence and she's facing the world um you know the world of men with big you know 
violent dicks. <laughs> I, think it, <laughs> I think it's sort of trying, making, you know, um, a commentary about sort of like the threat, the threat yeah. and fear of men. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you, Ariel? What did you think on this revisit of the Summer Party Massacre? Oh, well, it's hard to go after Kay. You just kind of said I know. all the great things about You see the movie. way I just threw you right underneath <laughs> I, that I bus, I blew it right? all. I have nothing else to say. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. This is a movie that I first saw as a young person, and I don't think that anything but just a fairly standard slasher movie occurred to me at the time. I think the other stuff just sort of went over my head and I wasn't thinking about it in that way. And I think what is really fun watching it now as an adult, I've seen it multiple times recently, um, is that you can pick out the remnants of that feminist satire that didn't Mm -hmm. get removed by the producers, you know, or that didn't get taken out ahead of time. Um, And so I think that's really fun. We'll talk about it once we get into spoilers where there are like specific plot points that I think were really smartly done um, in that direction. But there's also just like really great kills and there's a lot of them and they're super fun. And there's a bunch of 80s special effects that are, you know, a joy to watch, you know, at this time when it came out, it was 1982 and Kay, you're right. Like slasher movies were pretty young, but there, a lot of them had already come out. So at the same, and on, in the same year, like, Halloween 3 and Friday the 13th 3 all came out the same year. And even though they had only started a couple years before that, you know. Um, Cranking them out. So there was, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So there was a lot to satirize. And I think that this movie does a good job. I wish that it had been allowed to be like its full self. I wonder what would have happened if we'd gotten more of Rita Mae Brown's script if or if Amy Helton Jones hadn't had to add scenes that she didn't actually want in the movie what it would have looked like um but I still have so much fun every time I watch this movie and we won't get into it yet but like I love the ending of this one (laughs) Uh, I think it's so great the the last few beats of this movie I can't wait to talk about that part yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I think this movie is really interesting because it's both such a time capsule and also very much ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, and it's very and I think, hey, you hit on something that I don't think you you succinctly said something that I've been like kind of working through my brain about how a satire works versus a spook and that there the messaging in this is very subtle. Like there's no big speeches. There's no like underlining yeah. of its politics. Like something like Black Christmas, for instance, like really is explicit in what it's trying to say. This one just sort of presents the ideas through its characterizations and expects you as the watcher either to absorb them passively or actively. Um, and so it does that by really maintaining all the elements of a slasher you know it doesn't sacrifice those for the sake of trying to get at those themes which i think is probably one of the reasons that the film has really stood the test of time is that it operates on a couple of levels so like it has crossover um that and the branding i mean you can't beat the branding in this the slumber party massacre like it and that's it's that's, iconic. that's a Roger Corman thing. He was the one who's yeah. like, let's call it that. And it's like, well, yep. <laughs> and he was the one who, you know, Amy framed the shot in the film with um, the character Diane. She's about to get it, and he's holding the drill, and it's basically mm-hmm. a big swinging dick. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
that shot, he said, that's the poster. So they recreated yeah. that from from that. So, you know, Roger Corbett knew. Yeah. Oh, he knew what he was doing. He was a thousand of films. Yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, uh, say what you will. He is a branding genius. That is for <laughs> sure. That is for sure. Um, I What I think I loved more so this time than because I was like looking at it with a much more critical eye. Like this was definitely a slumber party, like literally a slumber party watch. I can remember watching this with girlfriends or like having their boyfriends over and watching this. Like it was very, <laughs> my experience was very meta. Um, but watching the way that it really centers its female characters and allows them to be sexually realized in a way that, that, that where that's where the politics are, right? Like it, it takes what is, a vulnerability in your standard slasher and allows them to just be that and not have that necessarily be a vulnerability for the characters, which I think is really interesting. Like we'll get into like the, the, the way that it expresses like women with sexual desire, I think is really fun and subversive in this. Um, yeah. And I think it's most explicit in its messaging in the final act, which we'll definitely um, talk about, but there's a little bit of a, a speech that happens at the end, we'll say a little bit of dialogue that happens at the end that still to this day in the year of our Lord, 2023 hits just as hard. Um, and so in that way, I think that the film is ultimately as eighties as it is, is ultimately timeless because what it's talking about, unfortunately is just as, you know, salient yeah. today as it would be in 1982 <laughs> we come a not long way baby <laughs> so all right awesome so i think is i would i would recommend that people check this out on shutter how about you ladies yeah do it absolutely i mean especially if you've never seen this one before it's such a big slasher movie that people always reference and talk about and just the whole backstory with rita may brown and amy holden jones and how they created this movie i think it's it's really interesting to watch so do it yeah, I think don't be fooled by it's sort of like, um, uh, you know, the, it's seemingly simple, um, you know, front face because it's, it has a lot to say, but it's also just a really great hangout film. You know, you really get to hang out with these <laughs> yeah, characters. There's, they're fully realized. Um, and, you know, because not a lot of plot develops, you really get to spend time with them. Um, yeah. And as you know, I've been medically transitioning for almost two years now. And so I've been able to connect with women. Like I've been more welcome in women's spaces increasingly so. And even in my own family, like I'm one of the girls with my mom and my sister and my sister-in-law. And I I get a joy watching this film and kind of like starting to identify with some of those relationships. And I love when they go into the showers and they're like, oh, your tits are getting bigger. And they're like, they're like, mine? And they're like, oh my God, that was like me last week. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, and, and, you know, these women are clearly older than high school. So yeah, it's just one one other way that I, I really enjoyed revisiting it. Oh so That's glad. Really cool. I'm so glad. Yeah. And like we said, it's on shutter, so it's very, very accessible. I think it might also be on Tubi. It's on Tubi. I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, boom. There you go. You don't even have to have a No excuses. Get into <laughs> Tubi. I love Tubi. Tubi is awesome. All right. Awesome. So we are going to enter the spoiler zone now. 
If you have not seen this movie or you are someone who does not enjoy having things spoiled, this is your chance to find your phone and hit pause. Get the heck out of here because we are going to talk like, all, you know, everything is up for grabs. Whatever these wonderful co-hosts of mine want to talk about, we're going to talk about it. And this is me vamping. You've got some time. By now, you should have found your phone. <laughs> I you think so. Hit that old pause <laughs> button. Let's get into Welcome to the Spoiler Zone. We're here. Okay. Spoiler so alert. Start- there's the massacre. <laughs> there's also a slumber party which by the way this the feelings of nostalgia i experienced watching this i was really struck by it but all right so here is the synopsis it's venice california in 1982 and trish's parents are going out of town for the weekend of course that can mean only one thing for this high schooler and it's time for a slumber party she invites some of her friends from the basketball team, including her neighbor, Valerie, who declines after hearing her friend being a total see you next Tuesday about it. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately for everyone involved, Russ Thorne, a local serial killer, has escaped his psychiatric hospital and is on another killing spree. He slowly picks off classmates and neighbors before finally attacking the slumber partiers. Uh, most are sacrificed to his drill, his big swinging deck of a drill. Um, but a few of them survive and they team up who first metaphorically castrate him and then penetrate him to death. Honestly, it's probably not the worst slumber party <laughs> I've ever been to because teenage girls are hella mean. <laughs> so yeah, that is Slumber Party Massacre. All right. Now that the all bets are off and you can talk about whatever you want. Okay. Let's hear your thoughts about Slumber Party Massacre. Hmm. Well. <laughs> um, even though Roger Corman basically forced Amy <laughs> to put on all, all of the nudity <laughs> in the film. Yeah. Um, I love how she, Amy kind of embraced it. And like, she's like, you know what? We have to beat these this quota. We have to have this <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and she's like, we can crank out like fifty percent of them in the first ten minutes. <laughs> Just get it yeah. out of the way. And yeah. so, um, you know, and she luxuriates over these women's bodies, which they're they're beautiful women. Um, but it's not just like oh, these women just happen to be in the locker room shower. The camera goes out of its way to like look oh, up yeah. and down. Yes, like <laughs> We have like the point of view of a bar of soap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, know, I, was um, it, I was like, wow, she's really going for it there. Yeah. The twitch, the cheeks, yeah. the twitch. <laughs> and, and then there's the, you know, when they're changing in the window, basically. Um and I don't know, I just, I know it's pretty skeevy, but I also think it's kind of fun and empowering and listening to the actors talk about it. They seem to be, you know, I don't know if they're happy about it, but they were very comfortable with with yeah. doing it. And, um, and and listening to the commentary, it's so fun hearing Amy being like, there's nothing to be ashamed. Wow, look, at <laughs> she's just like, an, <laughs> she's just amazed. She's like, these women are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> we have this this woman who's how would you say this she's like channeling the male gaze yes yeah and which is like really unique because even though it is this camera does leer at these women it still feels different like it feels it doesn't feel like threatening or too lascivious it's i i, I think it just has to do with the fact that you know, like 
these women see each other naked sometimes or, you know, they're in the locker room. This sort of is sort of it's not sexual the way yeah, that they are casual. being seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I also I, I agree that there's something interesting about the male gaze being presented from the perspective of like a woman behind the camera. There is something a little bit different about that. I also think that scene of the slumber party where you're getting to see them naked as they're kind of casually changing and chatting, which is something that does happen at slumber parties. I mean, that's not completely like a made up thing um, yeah. that you would be more casual around with nudity around very close friends. But I think what's interesting about that scene is what it's saying about the teenage boys who are standing outside of it, right? It's like we're watching this killer walk around stalking these women, but throughout the movie, not just at this point, there are other points too where these men who are either their friends or their boyfriends or next door neighbor are also kind of being creepy or leering or pervy even, you know, or just like invading personal space and privacy. So I think Mm -hmm. that's interesting. And I don't know that you maybe would have gotten that if Amy Holden Jones hadn't been able to hold on to some of the satire, you know? Yeah. I found myself thinking about the opening scenes of Revenge when I was watching that because I think Corley Forgo does something similar as well. Like if Mm -hmm. you remember when we're introduced to Jess – um, oh, I it's see what like you're saying. the camera is like the gay male gaziest of male gazy. Yep. And then you see sort of this perspective shift that happens. And I think something similar happens in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think we start off in a very like you like you say, like lingering shots of the body. Um, although like it's less objectifying because it does pan, you know, like I think we don't just stick with one part of the body and just like really lock (laughs) into that like it's part of a larger form but I also think that as the movie moves forward we get we shift away from that male gaze like it it, and when it's later reintroduced with the nudity of like the boys watching like there's there's definitely some like uh, there's some purpose to it that is showing this sort of spectrum of misogyny and entitlement to women's bodies that like you've got the neighbor you've got the the boys and then you've got obviously our boy russ um and they're not the same but there there's a through line that is presented and a spectrum and it kind of reinforces this idea that all of these behaviors some of them are like boys will be boys some of them are creepy neighbor and some of them are literal serial killer but they all have a same kind of root origin and so in that way i think she sort of weaponizes the male gaze in a really interesting way yeah yeah i agree totally off topic but in that shower scene Am I imagining something or was there like a real moment between Trish and Valerie where they like lock eyes in the shower Maybe. No. Maybe. Okay. I think there is like a, I think that there is a, a like a there is a queerness to this film. Yeah. Like it's not explicit, but it's like a spiritual queerness and it's something that gets picked up in the remake as well. What do you think, Kay? I yeah, I think I mean I think it's a fluidity. I think these women, some of them are just really close. They are like sisters. I think some of them um you know, are a little closer than others. Um, <laughs> I forget whose room it is, but Rita Mae Brown's book about pussy is on the nightstand. So that could. Mm. <laughs> well, oh, I didn't catch that. that. Yeah, I did not catch that. But that I feel like is. Um... Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's yeah. I think I think 
you're correct. I, I caught a little something, but I also can throw a little extra subtext to things sometimes so to hear that you saw it as well (laughs) well also they don't seem to be so like the even though the boys are spying on them when they do find out that they're lurking around they're like kind of they're not they don't feel threatened in any way they're just kind of like these fucking idiots like they they still have all the power and they're not really i mean diane is with boo boo or whatever it is but like um but they you know they see these these boys for what they are it's just like boys um but those those boys were gay too so i love that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like this, this, even though like it's not textually queer there's so much queerness in you know in the behind the scenes one of this person they weren't really much of a character but one of the identified as male characters earlier on um transitioned later on oh. they were a friend cool. of the two boys um i learned that from the commentary so there's just so much queer um behind queerness behind the lens which is which right. is really fun, and to me, it kind of, I feel like it kind of lends itself to that sort of like slumber party like atmosphere of being like we're, we're yeah. like yes we're 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 showing this this horror film, but we're like we're all friends here, like right. <laughs> we're all yeah. in on the yeah. joke, <laughs> and I just I I kind of pay, really tapped into that energy. Um, of of just feeling like I was connected to them in in certain ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, summer parties are a time of exploration. <laughs> well, yeah, know, it's not the truth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one too many oh. truth or dares. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, I felt like such a deep sense of nostalgia when I was watching this, and like I, I like a the simple pleasures of a slumber party of a summer night of watching you know parents going out of town and all of that kind of stuff just sort of hit me really hard this time around and I felt like a longing for a particular time in my life that I hadn't experienced when I watched this in the past did you guys get any of that at all or am I alone on my sad little no absolutely (laughs) one of the things I like about this movie is just like how close the women seem to be in this and that is something too like that that friendship that's so deep when you're in high school where you're um, you're so connected to your friends. They mean everything to you. And not that that totally goes away as an adult, but I feel like there's like this extra layer of like solidarity that you have when you're in high school. And and even some of that like, do I want to be her friend? Do I want to be her? Am I in love with her? That kind of a you know energy you have with your friends. Yeah. And here, one of the nice things too is that and this may be some of, you know, what Rita Mae Brown had in it or Amy Holden Jones infused into the script and into the filming is how much they work together in this movie. You know, because a lot of slasher films, people split up and they disperse into, you know, single people or little tiny groups. And here for a lot of the movie, the women try mm-hmm. their best to stick together. And when there is somebody who's like on the other side of a door they put themselves at risk to try to get them back into the group, you know, or to bring them yeah. in. And I really liked that part of it. Um, that you Except for poor Valerie, man. I will not <laughs> let her in. <laughs> oh, but she's, she's, she's badass. She runs after him. She's like, yes. Oh, you're not, 
<laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, she doesn't have to she's... survive. She tracked them down. <laughs> right. And that's so rare, too. Like, you never see that. Usually when women in movies, like, pick up a weapon or try to, it's like a defense thing, right? That they're yeah, being last chased resort. or attacked. Yeah, they're yeah. just responding yeah. to the killer. Where here, you're right. Valerie picks up multiple weapons until she finds, like, a really good one. And then she runs <laughs> headfast into this runs! killer, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's so badass. I love that. And and the other women try to fight back, too. I think one of them, like, hits him with a baseball bat. Like, they really they get some licks in before they ultimately yeah. kill him in the end. <laughs> Yeah, justice for Coach Gina too. <laughs> I know. I felt bad for her. I always forget that she, that she gets it because she's yeah. I don't know. That's always well. Speaking of Coach Gina, you know, we have this woman who's the basketball coach. All the women are basketball players. Then we have um, there's like a handy woman, like the person yes. who's like <laughs> installing the yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the people. And the, earlier on, the woman electrician who's like repairing the phone lines or whatever, like yeah, yeah, women run this town. They do. <laughs> no, it's it's so cool because those, especially in the '80s, were traditionally male jobs. They still are in a lot of ways, but like especially yeah. in the early '80s. And I, I think that's it's things like that, and the fact that the drill as a weapon. I mean, we always think of like we should talk about the drill (laughs) (laughs) because we always think about like knives and slasher movies as being you know literal like a penis basically right a penetrative thing and here it's like you couldn't make it more obvious right that it's like a drill and Kay, you're right like that position where she's about to kill diane and it's like right between his legs like she could not have made it any more clear what she was trying to do and i think that if you watch this as a straight slasher movie and get something out of it that's awesome have a good time but if you can't see like the feminist fingerprint that's left <laughs> on this movie i don't know what to tell you because you're just missing like really obvious stuff <laughs> Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. I mean he's they're literally trying to screw them to death. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they castrate yeah, them at there. the end. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's... I love that. The final act of this movie is I mean, there are many things I like throughout the course of it, but the final act of this movie is so fantastic with that whole poolside scene and also his sort of dialogue that he has about like he he basically runs the list of like shit abusive dudes say. Yeah. And like the way and the sort of ways that they do sort of mental gymnastics to not see themselves as the villain in the scenario and yeah. that's what i was saying like it still hits so hard in 2023 oh i know the it's way he just, says like it takes so much love to do this to you or whatever it's like oh boy <laughs> mm-hmm. and it starts with like sort of the cat calling language and just like yeah. escalates from there till he gets to the end and then yeah, when she's just like, I don't even know you. Right. You know, like you think you have this entitlement to like you're disregarding my personhood entirely. Like you have entitlement to my body. I don't even know you, dude. Like, I just think that that's very smart writing that like comes from doing a lot of like feminist thought and and kind of like having that worldview. You know what I mean? It's sort of like this effortlessly accurate kind yeah. of dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that like, we don't have a traditional final girl, we have three that survive in the end, Trish, Valerie and Valerie's little sister all survive. And they all fight together. They all have to Mm -hmm. be there to like defeat this guy. You know, what? it kind of reminded me a little bit of the end of Fresh. um, When Mm -hmm. all three women Mm -hmm. have to like come together. 
oh my god there's even a castration in that one too you're right (laughs) (laughs) that one's a little more literal i mean yes (laughs) he had a comment he did have a comment So I touched a little bit this on this in the non-spoiler section, but I love the way that their sexuality is presented in this in like a non, it's an, in a non-exploitative way, which I understand is, you know, we have the shower scene and all that stuff, yeah. but like they're so sexually, um, they're realized, you know, confident. Like we see one girl looking at a dirty magazine and like, I there isn't that. really a lot of shaming around. I mean, no. it's hilarious that it's Playgirl. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> well, and I love how, uh, you know, the, speaking of the camaraderie, like, between the sisters, yeah. she's like, oh, please, you've been beating off boys since fifth grade. She's like, no, I haven't been. <laughs> Have you told mom? <laughs> So cute. And I love when she has that conversation with her friend on the phone and she's talking about how her sister told her all about kissing and, and yeah. using uh-huh. tongue and stuff. It's so funny. It's so cute. But, I love their relationship too because like they make fun of each other. Like when yeah. they're doing makeup, she's like, oh, do you ever think I'll be pretty? She's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. They, she's like, well, I hope I don't look like you or whatever. They just keep like trashing each other. But then uh-huh. at the end of that scene, she's just like, just be quiet and make me look like you. yeah there is a sweetness there for sure (laughs) yeah i mean uh, with the exception of like diane being kind of unkind which i think is accurate you know like teenage girls are mean like especially if like a beautiful talented girl comes into the group like there's we're still figuring stuff out there's a lot of horizontal hostility but ultimately i think that this movie is pretty kind to the way that it sees women's relationships and I think there's like a lazy shorthand or a total disregard of women's relationships that typically happens in these 80s slashers. Like they're just not really that interested in the relationships between them where it's kind of the heart of this movie. And and I really appreciated that watching at this time, like realizing that we were spending time actually getting to know not just these women as individuals, but like their dynamics as a friend group. And that feels less like crazy today. But like, if you think about it in the context of 1982, it's incredibly subversive to like, not only be like, okay, we are in peak slasher rules period. So these girls by being sexually liberated should automatically be death toll, but also we're interested in them as human beings (laughs) feels wildly like ahead of its time. Compare that scene to the beginning of Carrie. You know, we also look. You know, we also luxuriate over these naked bodies, um, and then you know they get Carrie gets bullied much more cruelly, um, and most of them don't even. You know, some of them feel bad immediately. Some feel bad later. Some never feel bad. But in this scene, they just they say one mean thing, and right away the other girls are like, "That's not cool." Yeah. You know, like they're they're just immediately and and even Diane kind of, you know, lightens up very quickly. Like it's 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 very sweet to see that that and it felt really real because like, you know, a comment can be very hurtful. And I'm not trying to like, um, to take away from that, but just as what I think is more authentic, it's like they realize they're like come on that's like you don't have to say that's not nice yeah well and it's nice that even after diane says those things like trish could have just sided with her right but instead she goes out of her way to chase after valerie and say yeah you know please come to this event yeah 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 
Um, and poor, the, the actor plays Valerie. I forget her name, but she took her own life, like, later. Oh, that's tragic. Oh, that's really sad. God, that's awful. That's so, so sad to know that somebody's in that much pain. Yeah. It's always really yeah. heartbreaking. Um, Sorry, awkward transition. No, no, no. <laughs> Um, no, no, no. I'm glad I'm glad to I'm glad that you shared that. Um, but I I don't know about you, Ariel, but because but I was thinking also of Blood Games. Have you seen Blood Games, Kay? Are you familiar with that movie? I'm familiar with your episode about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that it was another sort of like play on the exploitation genre and that all of the women were athletes again. I, I know, thought it was really I know. I did parallel. think that the shorts in this movie were far more realistic for athletes to wear. Yes. Than the ones yeah, you don't have to slide in basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'd be very curious to think what, hear what you think of Blood Games. It's an interesting sort of exercise in genre. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't really heard of it. So after I listened to that, episode, I was like, here, check this out. Yeah, definitely. Did you guys have any other thoughts about the film or yeah, is there I mean, anything else we didn't touch on? I think that what UK were saying earlier that it, it really does function also as just a straight slasher because she's so successful in some of the ways that she does that. I mean, I think like the scene where um, the one young woman is being chased through the high school, like there's so much tension in that scene. It's filmed so well. And especially the part where she has locked herself into a utility closet or whatever it is. And she's trying to mop up her own blood so that he won't know that she's there and she's unsuccessful. And you see the blood going under the door before he, you know, drills through it. I just think like that is really smart filmmaking. And there's so much tension there. And there's not a ton of tension in the rest of the film other than, you know, I think we all have probably experienced that thing where you're like, when you were younger and you were home alone and would hear a noise and then you like freak out about what it could possibly be. There's some tension in that, but that scene has really good tension. I just think it's filmed so well. And I think that the, (laughs) there are some cool shots and some like really smart editing choices. Uh, Somebody mentioned it earlier, but the part where somebody's being stabbed and it keeps cutting back and forth between that stabbing and the stabbing that's happening on TV, or even when, um, Diane's boyfriend's head gets cut off and she jumps into the car and his head falls off, which is comical, right? But then it immediately yeah. cuts to one of the young women like making a red drink in a blender. Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so accurate. funny. Yeah. I mean, that's you I, you. I think you were saying that earlier that there is some real comedy. I, The way that Amy Holden Jones talks about the film, I think maybe she thinks it's more comical than I find it to actually be where there's not like a ton of laugh out loud moments, but there are some really funny sight gags like the pizza delivery guy where they're eating the pizza on top of his body. (laughs) So that part is funny. (laughs) That's why I think is really, I think part of humor is the fact that it is played so straight. Yeah. You know, Mm, um, and from the interviews that I've seen of her, she seems to have a very dry sense of humor. Uh Yeah. That makes so much sense. It, it, it's very it's like something that i like i don't really get into slapstick that much uh-huh. i like like the type of humor i like is the type where you just intellectually say that's funny yeah. <laughs> like, that's funny sure. like and i feel like this movie is full of it because the whole movie yeah. is just like ludicrous and you're like this is really funny even though it's being played straight yeah 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 oh there i also like that one too. with yeah there are 
there are a lot. Like they when when they think the pizza delivery guy is there and they ask him how what's the damage and he's like six so far. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ariel. Yeah, no. Uh, just the the scene where um, Valerie and her little sister keep like opening the refrigerator and I think one of their bodies, is, dead bodies, is inside the fridge and they keep not seeing it and like closing the fridge and then opening up again and closing it and opening it and not seeing it. That was pretty. That was pretty amusing too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah there's smart there's a lot of great here. stuff in here there's a oh, lot of and, yeah and like the the great jim jones once said shut up and drink it kool-aid i also that was recent that's really yeah, morbid yeah. humor <laughs> yeah i guess you're right because well, that was like what maybe like three or four years earlier when was jim jones 78 it was around yeah. yeah it was it was late 70s yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I did also love you had screenshotted a moment that I giggled at when I saw it again where she's like, stop glomming the the joint. The joint. <laughs> yeah. I was like, when I saw you had posted that, I was like, I know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I love because that, that's, I mean, in that, you know, because they say, you know, stop glomming the chips and she says, stop glomming the joint. And it's just like, it's such a, <laughs> that's what friends do. You know what I mean? They tease yeah. each other about that kind of stupid stuff. Yeah, you're right. And this movie has the takes the time to actually present those kinds of moments, I think, is maybe, again, another thing that's made it more timeless. Um, Even if the some of the language is, you know, dated in terms of like the slang, right? Um, The spirit of it feels still timely. Yeah. 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 And the special effects hold up. I thought they looked great. You know, I think those. Especially the pizza boy. Oh, my gosh. With his eyeballs drilled out. That was great. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a little night of the creeps moment. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Any other things you guys wanted to touch on? I don't want to move on if there's more that you wanted to discuss. But I also don't want to just like (laughs) put you on the spot to keep going if you're like, I'm done. I guess I would just say that, you know, as someone who didn't get to grow up as a girl um, uh-huh. or raised as a girl, like, I missed out on this experience. And what I really love about this movie is I, I feel like I get to identify with a little bit and and in, in some small way get to, like, sort of experience what I what have been taken from me. So I really appreciated oh, I more recently watching it this time around. Because I felt like I could imagine myself in that scenario. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is we all got to get together and have a slumber party. That's what yes. I'm hearing. I'll bring the Maui Waui. <laughs> yes. Don't be glomming it. Don't you be glomming it. <laughs> Amazing. I think that's really, I don't know that we can say anything better than that. I think that is awesome. That like touches my heart. So, um, sort of final recommendations for those who are still with us. I think my opinion has not changed. If you have not seen this, go to Tubi, go to Shutter, and put it in your eyeballs uh, so fast that you look like the pizza man. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> I, I honestly, at this, I think it's a core text. Like, I actually yeah. think yes. that it's it's a much more important horror film than a lot of people realize. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, think it could easily right. be kind of written off as just sort of fun and silly and and not have that much meaning to it. But I think there really is. There's stuff that's being said in this movie about slasher movies and about like sort of gender roles in society. And that's all really important. And if you're somebody who watches a ton of horror movies, you should watch this one because it references a lot of stuff that you know about slasher movies, but also is like super progressive in interesting ways. 
Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. it's easy to take for granted um, films that, you know, obviously the slasher genres, it was all, all it was always a very basic <laughs> format, you know, very, sure. but, and there's been thousands of them <laughs> that yeah. it's like, it can be easy to take for granted of like, okay, like, I've seen this before and it's like, well, no, this was very early on in that mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, it still is unique in its own way, but like, I think that it's part of um, really appreciating this film is, is being aware of the, the cultural context that it was released in and even yeah. now is still progressive. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I don't feel like the driller killer gets his no- enough love because He's actually really scary and his weapon is iconic. I think his weapon is more famous than he is. Like, I think that yeah. people know the Driller Killer, but they don't know Russ Thorne. And uh, that's kind of a shame because he's actually a pretty, like, visually iconic. Um, mm-hmm. he, cuts a, he cuts a silhouette, let's just Jean's say. Head but to that's toe. so cool. Like, with the new, <laughs> there was the new one that just came out in 2021. I feel like every yeah. 10 years there should be a new one. Like, Ooh, and it's like the that. same, yeah. nothing much changes. <laughs> It's the yeah. same exact story. <laughs> it's just different people, a different cultural context, a different sort of um into the pocket dimension. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, we all lose our innocence at some point, and we, at some point we all have to confront the threat <laughs> of men. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Sadly. <the> truth. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, this has been so much fun. I'm so grateful to have you on the show. Um, I hope it's just the first of many visits because yes. this has been a del- I knew it would be, but you know, <laughs> you hope it's going to go great because like I said, I admire things you've done and I like I've always wanted to be your friend. So I, I'm so Well, happy. we are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I know. It's so ex- Well, see, we've been friends for a long time, but now it's mutual. You're my friend. <laughs> you want to be my friend now too. <laughs> so for um, those well, of you at home. Catch like as soon as you- I'm ready when you are. Awesome. Yes. Oh, it's happening. It's a done deal. Ariel's in charge of the calendar and I'm guessing she's already like got a slot in mind. Ruminating here. (laughs) Yes. 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 Okay. So for those of you at home, if you have not seen this or you have, you have thoughts, whatever the case may be, you can always email us at rachel at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z.com. You can chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook group, although we really should just nuke that thing because it's the devil. And uh, you can slide into the DMs at Twitter and Instagram at ZG Podcasts. That's podcasts with an S. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your pods. Um, and if you want to support us, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can buy some of our sweet, sweet merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. Or you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls. We get bonus episode, extended episodes, live episodes. Um, you get to join the Discord, which is pretty cool. We talk mostly <laughs> talk about cats and uh, horror movies on there. Do so you like cats <laughs> and horror movies, or either or? We got both those bases covered. Oh, there's um, a cat in this movie that you know. There's a bunch of scenes. Yes, like, yes. In this you know, movie. I went and it doesn't. Die. I couldn't remember, and I went straight to "Does the dog die?" And it was like there are lots of cats, and none of them are harmed. I was like, <gasps> <laughs> all right. One last plug. Okay. Our wonderful, wonderful guest. Where can people find you on social media? Where can they find stuff about Salem Horror Fest? Tell us everything they need to know to uh, low-key stock. <laughs> okay. So Salem Horror on Facebook and Instagram. Salem Horror Fest 
on Twitter. I'm Video Coven on Twitter. That's the only social that I have, um, even though I keep trying to get rid of it. <laughs> and um, and com. That's where all the information about the festival is. We announced all of our guests um, already, but next week we announce the program and you'll be able to see all the films um, that you will eventually be coming to Shutter and Screenbox and VOD yes. in the next in the <laughs> next year or so. So um, thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Oh, good. Oh, I'm so glad that you had a good time. We had such a blast. And I just have to say, people should be following you all of those places, but like definitely follow at Video Coven because your hot takes about politics and movies is to die for like you are so funny and so smart and like your takedown of other people sometimes is much needed on the internet so people should be following thank you sometimes i forget that people read it (laughs) oh yes (laughs) i also feel like i've had i've i have appreciated your perspective because i've i've had been like okay this is the like this is the way we see this and then you'll come in and you'll from the left and you'll be like boom, this is a totally different perspective. Yeah. And it, it it is incredibly valuable to me because I, you have changed the way that I see things. Oh um, a hundred, no, a hundred. That's like, I'm not just like blowing smoke up your butt. Like genuinely, I'm trying to remember what movie specifically it was. Oh, they, them. You had a hot take on they, them that I was like, that is so important. Thank you for sharing that perspective. You complete, I mean, like I had my issues with the movie already, but like they were not that specific one. So like, yeah, I, I, I co-sign makes heartily angry. what Ariel said. <laughs> What's that? I'm still angry about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wrote about it's it. Not, let's not disgusting. even get into it, but yeah. ugh, that one, that one, that one hurt, man. That one, I was, I was so excited for that one. Me too. It was, it had everything set up. Like it should have been yeah. easy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, how do you go so wrong? You had every, you had it all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Ariel, what is the plan for next episode? Yeah. So our plan for next episode, we're actually going to be reviewing Trouble Every Day, directed by Claire Denae, with special guests, the spinsters of horror, Jess and Kelly, who have a monthly podcast called I Spit on Your Podcast. So definitely come back here. You can watch Trouble Every Day on Shudder. And uh, we're going to talk about it. And I think it's going to be really interesting because it's part of the new French extremity. And I don't know a ton of I haven't seen a ton of those movies, but they're kind of experts on it. So I'm very excited to have them on and see what they have to say about it. Awesome. Okay, so that is it for us. Again, thank you one last time to Kay for being such an amazing guest and bringing such incredible insights. Like I said from the top, I hope this is just the first of many times that we get to collaborate because this has been a blast. Um, No surprise, your takes were hot and incredibly valuable. And yeah, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to my co-host, Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Messman-Rucker. And our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Moore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the extended episode, a.k.a. More Deadly After Dark. I'm still your co-host, 
Rachel, and joining me is the always lovely Ariel. I think because I'm looking at her beautiful face right now. Are you jealous? Oh my goodness. Hello. Good be. <laughs> hey girl. What a fun episode. I Yeah, had... that was a blast. It was a case. I mean, I knew that she was going to be smart and funny and cool, but like it's just so much fun when what you hope the dynamic will be and what it actually happens, you know, because like they say, like, don't meet your heroes. <laughs> and that is that is some real shit. <laughs> yeah. But in this case, I was blown away by how smart and interesting her takes were, as usual. I know. I know. It was like, uh, usually I do not have a shortage of things to say <laughs> when we're talking about things, but she just kept saying all the like great stuff about the movie. I'm like, well, I don't know what to say after that. Shit. Well, see, now you know how it feels to follow you, Ariel. Oh, whatever. <laughs> sometimes I have to be like Ariel's last <laughs> because I have three things to say and she's going to say all three of them 100%. Oh, so I better get in front. I better cut in line. So I have sound like I have some uh, so one original thought. <laughs> it's so funny because when people meet me, they think I'm so quiet, but like get me talking and I, I won't shut up. I love it though. I remember I remember being the person who was like, I shall pull her out of her. <laughs> I just like glommed on to you at the at our um we were on the newspaper together, but like it really happened when we went away for the like the journalism convention. Yeah. Yeah, the convention uh-huh. in LA. And I was like, I had set my sights on making you my friend, and that's where <laughs> I struck. I was like, you can't get away because we're in another part of the state. And then you became my friend, so it worked. Yeah, worked out well for me too. <laughs> I still remember our friendship was forged inside a Panda Express in Los Angeles. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Where we like skipped a lecture we were supposed to go to to go have lunch and stuff. Yeah, that sounds like us. That yep. sounds like us. <laughs> <laughs> and it was worth it. Although, who knows? Maybe we'd be Pulitzer Prize writers at this point. Oh, yeah. It was just that, that one lecture. <laughs> if we had it. just gone to that, like the sliding door, like we wouldn't be friends, but we would have met each other years right. later at the Pulitzer Award ceremony <laughs> when we won dual Pulitzers. We tied for first Pulitzer <laughs> and our eyes would meet across the stage. We're like, get out of the way, Salman Rushdie and others art- uh, off- <laughs> can't think of right now because I never heard of it in my life, apparently. Um, to be besties. Um, the one oh thing that gosh. we did not get to do because we met in college slumber party although we've kind of i mean we've sort of had slumber parties before but not like we had sleepovers slumber party yeah we've like stayed up watching movies and like slept on the couch and stuff but like it was so fun though i know (laughs) (laughs) and we used to like you used to have parties at your house and then i would crash on your couch afterwards and we'd hang out but uh but yeah it's not the same thing as that like high school there's something like mm-hmm. lightning in a bottle about those junior high, high school slumber party experiences, you know? Yeah, just like 10 girls in a living room sleeping on the floor. Like, it yeah. was it was the best. It was the best. Yeah. I missed that. Like, I miss – the other thing was there's a part in the movie where, like, a guy – like, a boy calls her and she's, like, on the phone. And I just remember, like, it, it totally conjured up those feelings of, like, when my phone would ring. And then you could just mm-hmm. talk on the phone about nothing for hours. Yeah. I realized – in this moment that I was going to say how strange it was, I we've done literally hundreds of episodes of podcasts, <laughs> which is essentially the modern equivalent of that. <laughs> there's you know something what? similar, yeah. Um, so I recorded with 
Larry. We did uh, Untitled Nick Cage the uh, day before yesterday. Okay. Um, that'll be out this week, folks. Um, maybe even today. Who knows? He edits that one, so it comes when it comes. But he told me something heartbreaking and horrifying. Okay. Did you know that the youth don't pass notes anymore? What? Yeah. They just they send each pass- other, like, texts or something? Yeah. God, that's so crazy. Okay, when I was in elementary school, um, we had desks that, like, would face each other in these, like, clusters, you know? Uh-huh, and we uh-huh. created, like, a system with twine under our desks and paper. What? What? slide notes to each other and you just, like, send Shut it to another cluster. Up. Yeah. To another yes. cluster? You were, yeah. like, inter-cluster yeah. communicating? That is yes. crazy. <laughs> 